0: Friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. Let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to go to God's Word, we're back to our series in the book of Habakkuk, so may I just request each one of us to please rise from our seats right now, and let's take a look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, and I enjoin you to read together with me aloud at the count of three, all right? One, two, read. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and makes himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them because you have looted many nations. All the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you, Lord, for this wonderful Sunday morning. Lord, this is the first Sunday of the month and of the year 2019. And we are so thankful, oh God, because we had seen your faithfulness in 2018. And we have expectant and hopeful hearts for 2019 because we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, Lord, we know that you are the eternal present constant in our lives and therefore we will not fear we will not be worried we will not be anxious but we will we will put our full weight of trust in you most especially lord this morning as we begin our worship gathering this year lord i pray for myself that you will give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech anoint and empower me with your holy spirit O god so that your people might be able to hear your voice and discern your will for this year i pray O god that all of us will be open to the word of god and so lord please move in the power of your holy spirit and whatever is going to be achieved today we will give you back the glory the praises and the thanks in jesus mighty name we pray amen amen let's be seated in the presence of the lord I've entitled this morning's sermon, Pride's Disaster. And what actually came to my mind is a verse that is found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. And allow me to read just a portion of that. It goes, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. If I were to give a summary of the passage that you and I will be studying today, I believe the verse that somehow summarizes all that we will be discussing would be this verse in 1 Peter. Babylon's prideful stench was reaching the nostrils of God, and they did not know that they were walking down that road leading to disaster. Again, for the benefit, of those who have just come here for the first time, the book of Habakkuk actually deals with the pride of the Babylonians. And this is what we, what you and I will be discussing this morning. I have three points to share to you, which I would like to show on the screen right now. And so here are the three points. So we're going to talk about the appetite of pride, which is found in verse five. Under that, we have certain sub-points, which I would like to outline to you as well. First of all, we find pride's analogy with wine. And then uh, the second sub-point would be the effects of pride. And here are they. Uh, It's restlessness, greed, discontent, and acquisition. Those are the effects of pride. And we will amplify that as we move on later. And then we go to the second point, which is the taunt of the humiliated. We're talking about the nations that were oppressed by Babylon. We're talking about Edom, Egypt, Assyria, and even Israel. And this is their taunt in verses 6 to 7. And under that, we find three sub-points. The slap in the face of the proud Babylonians the misery of the proud thief, and then finally the plunder of the proud as a final sub-point. Our final point would be the payback on the proud. And there are two sins here that are outlined for us. Number one, the sin of looting. And secondly, the sin of bloodshed and violence. So let's go straight away to the appetite of pride. And... Let's take a look once again at verse 5 at this time. It goes, Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Now, one of the things that I'd like to point out to you is that wine here is actually symbolic of the pride of the Babylonians. And I believe the reason why God uses this is because of the similarities between drinking wine and pride as well. And we will get into that later on. But one of the things I'd like you to be aware of is that the Babylonian people were actually addicted to wine, all right? They were drunkards, so to speak. And in Daniel chapter 5, we find a very good example. Uh, At that time, in Daniel chapter 5, they were under siege from the medo persian Empire. And yet, the Babylonians were actually very complacent instead of preparing themselves for the impending attack, what they did is they had a banquet. At that time, the king was Belshazzar. He had replaced his father, Nebuchadnezzar, and he himself was getting himself drunk. And because they did not prepare for war, the Medo-Persian Empire was able to conquer them, practically almost without a fight and basically that tells you that this was something that controlled them wine actually controlled them now the treachery of wine of course is described in proverbs chapter 23 verses 31 to 32 we know that wine looks so inviting most especially when it's in a glass but according to proverbs 23 verse 32 in the end it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Again, let me repeat. In the end, it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Wine here may be referring again to the pride of the Babylonians. Now let's compare wine and pride as well. Wine actually controls a person's action. Wine causes people to do some crazy things. In fact, I recall my drinking days when I was in my teenage years and in my early 20s. There were times actually that I, get, I got dead drunk. And during those times, I must admit that I could not control my behavior. My behavior was actually out of control. And for those of you who had been drinking in the past, hopefully you're not drinking anymore now. But if you were drinking the past, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Wine actually controls your behavior. You're not able to control yourself. And we can say the same thing about pride. Pride controls a person's action. Pride causes him to do some crazy things. Now again, let me just make you aware that we're using a synecdoche here. It's a figure of speech by which one thing represents a whole. And in this case, we're talking about seemingly one man, but this one man actually represents the entire nation of Babylon. And what God is saying about this nation is that it was a very, very proud nation. And the Bible declares here, God is declaring that pride would actually be the downfall of the Babylonian nation. That is why notice what it says here, wine, again, representing pride, wine betrays the haughty man or wine betrays the proud person. All right? Now, why does pride betray man? Well, because pride is the reason for one's downfall. Allow me to share to you a few quotations. First from Donald uh, Fotenhauer, and this is what he said. God is not out to hurt our pride. He is out to kill our pride. Let me say it again. God is not out to hurt our pride. He is out to kill it. And then from William Seeker, he says, God abhors them worst who adore themselves most. Now, if you really think about it, pride happens to be the root of all evil. How did sin come into this world? How did sin come into those who were the angelic host of God? Well, we go back to the story of Lucifer. If you recall his story... Lucifer became so proud. He was so proud of his beauty. He was so proud of his wisdom. And because of the pride that he had, it was something that he desired that he become like God. It became his ambition to become like God. He was not content with his place as the anointed cherub of God. He wanted to be like God himself. And that proved to be his downfall. So Lucifer later on became, becomes Satan. Pride was the downfall of Lucifer. And so once again, I think for 2019, I think we need to be able to start on the right foot. And if you and I want to start on the right foot, we need to begin this year with humility in our hearts. First of all, being humble before the Lord, and then being humble also Before people. Because I believe that if we are humble, then God will exalt us. We will see favor upon favor, grace upon grace in our lives. As the Bible says, promotion does not come from the east nor the west, but from the Lord God Almighty. Now the question is, whom will God exalt? He will exalt only those who are humble. Most definitely, He will not exalt those who are proud. He will oppose them he will become an adversary to them. And this is exactly what we see here. Now, let's talk about the effects of pride as we see it here in this particular passage. First of all, we find restlessness. And where do we see that? Again, in this verse, it says, so that he does not stay at home. Pride actually caused the Babylonian nation to be restless, And we can say the same thing too with those who are proud, those proud individuals. These proud individuals are restless. Just like Lucifer, as I mentioned to you, he was restless with the fact that he was only an anointed cherub of God. He wanted to be like God. And so people who are proud are restless. They're not content where they are. They want something more. And that's why, again, you and I will be able to discern pride in us if we sense that there is some form of restlessness in us. And so as we take stock of ourselves, as we make a spiritual inventory of our lives this 2019, we have got to ask ourselves this question, am I restless? Am I not content where God has placed me. Now, I am not in any way suggesting that we should not pursue excellence in our lives. I believe that because our God is an excellent God, we should also be a people of excellence. But having said that, I think we need to remove from our hearts selfish ambition. We should not have a selfish agenda. In fact, what should be our agenda? Our agenda in our lives, as we had stated in last week and sermon, is the glory of God. Again, I point out to you Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where it says, From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. The glory of God should be foremost in our minds. And so, if we are going to have ambitions, it has to be godly ambitions. It has to be godly aspirations. And the end goal for us is the glory of God. Not the glory of self, but the glory of God. Now, when you and I have that kind of a heart, we can be sure that as we pursue excellence, God will bless us. As the Bible also says, if we are faithful, In small things, God will entrust to us bigger things. That's how it works in God's kingdom. And so again, we should have humility even as we pursue excellence in our lives. Sadly, as we look at the nation of Babylon at that time, they were not content with their successes. They were not content with their victories. And so because they were restless, They wanted to be able to expand their kingdom. And we know in history that they had actually conquered other nations. I mentioned them to you a while ago. We have Edom, we have Assyria, we have Egypt, and we have Israel. They actually expanded their kingdom because they were a proud people. And again, we have to ask ourselves this question. If ever there is a desire on our part, for expansion, so to speak, or for promotion, so to speak. The big question is, why do we want it? Do we want it merely for ourselves or do we want it so that God would be glorified? So that whatever we achieve in life actually now becomes a testimony of the goodness, the loving kindness, the compassion, the grace, and the favor of God. I believe that should be the kind of heart you and I are supposed to have. Now let's move on. Aside from restlessness, what would be another effect of pride? Well, what we see here is greed. As stated in this phrase, it says, he, again referring to Babylon, He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. And what do we see here? Pride causes us to seek more and more of what we selfishly want. Appetite for worldly desires and ambitions continually grows unabated. And that is what happens with people who are proud. They are greedy people. How do you know if a person is humble? Well, a person who's humble is not a grabber. A person who is humble is a giver. Because a humble person seeks to minister to the needs of other people. That is why humble people are normally very compassionate people. They are very kind people. They would rather think of others more than themselves. But you know how it is with proud people? They're not thinking of other people. They're not thinking of blessing, ministering, serving other people. They're thinking only of serving themselves. That's why they're greedy. They want more and more. They already have more actually, but they're not content. They still want more and more. That's why they're grabbers instead of givers. Again, let's take stock of ourselves at this time. If you were to describe yourself, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a grabber? Or do you see yourself as a giver? Do you see yourself as as being generous? Do you see yourself as somebody who wants to minister to the needs of other people, to be a blessing to them? I believe that should be what you and I uh, are as believers or as Christians. We should be givers, we should be generous, we should be kind, we should be compassionate. Again, proud people are not like that, they're greedy. And in line with this, they are also discontent. As we see here in the next phrase, it says, And he is like death, never satisfied. For people who are proud, their motto is never enough. They want more and more and more. These proud, restless people were as greedy as the grave. Now, you and I know, and of course, uh, again, we're talking about a figure of speech here. I mean, uh, the grave doesn't really have any appetite whatsoever. But the point here simply is this. All of us, without exception, will die. All of us will land in the grave. So here, there is a personification of the grave, as if grave wants to pull people down so that everybody will come to die. And basically, this is a picture of Babylon once again, a picture of discontent. As I mentioned to you, they already have much, but they're not content with what they have. They just have to have more and more and more. They're never satisfied. And you know, for proud people, it's like that. Most especially those who are greedy for money. They're not content with one million pesos. When they get one million, they need two million. And when they have two million pesos, guess what? They're still not satisfied. They need three. And when they have three, they need four. And when they have four, they need five. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And the big question is... Do they really need it? Now again, I am not in any way suggesting that we should not save up or accumulate wealth. I think wealth could actually be used as a resource for the extension of God's kingdom. And I believe that if God has called us to be business people, we are to seek profit, but not so much for our selfish agenda. We should seek profit for the glory of God and the extension of His kingdom. And I know of a lot of people who are like that. They, they have money and, you know, they're not thinking about accumulating more. They're thinking about being able to give and share their money, their resources, so that they could be a blessing to a lot of people. So that the gospel could spread even more to a lot of people. And friends, again, that speaks of a humble person. But a proud person, a proud person just wants more. And you know what? It's all about bragging rights. Because a person, for example, who is blessed with 5 million will be able to look down on a person who only has one million. And so we would say, look at what I have. I have five million pages. You just have one million? I have more than what you have. It's all about bragging rights. And basically, that's what we see here in the case of Babylon. As I mentioned to you, they had already much. They They were prosperous. They were blessed. But you know what? They were not content. They wanted more. It was all about bragging rights so that they could claim to the whole world that they were mighty conquerors, that, that, that they had taken the spoil and the plunder of a lot of people, that they had conquered Edom, Assyria, Egypt, and Israel, and they wanted more. That's how it is with proud people. It's all about bragging rights. It's all about being the top dog It's all about being seen, admired, and worshipped by people. And that's exactly what we see here. And the manifestation here is in acquisition. Notice what it says here. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Babylon is seen here perpetually seeking to collect nations and collecting people to himself. And again, for what use was that? It was merely for bragging rights. And again, let's take stock of ourselves because again, I think New Year is the best time to take stock or make an inventory of our spiritual lives. And the question I need to ask you is this, are you concerned about bragging rights? Are you concerned about showing yourself to be superior compared to others? Are you in the habit of continually comparing yourself with other people? And my big question also is, do you desire the downfall of others so that you could be lifted up, so that you could also be exalted? Some people, unfortunately, have a crab mentality. They're not happy when people are up there. They're not happy when when God exalts certain people. And their desire is to pull down these people. Because misery loves company. They do not want other people being promoted. They don't want people being exalted by the Lord. They want to pull them down. And again, that's a sign of pride. When we're not happy when people are being blessed, that's really a sign of pride. For what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we are to weep with those who weep and we are to rejoice when people are rejoicing. That is the kind of attitude we need to have. And so when we see our neighbors, our brothers and sisters being blessed of God, when we see that, that God is exalting them, promoting them, Granting favor upon favor. What should be our attitude? What should be our response? Our response should be that of happiness. We should be happy for people. We should be happy that God is exalting them. We should be happy that God is blessing them. We should be happy that God is granting favor upon favor. We know when you and I have pride, when you and I envy other people's blessings. When you and I covet other people's blessings for ourselves and we desire the downfall of certain people. Well, this was actually the attitude of the Babylonians. And again, if you and I are going to start on the right foot, this 2019, we need to become humble. And friends, let me just tell you this. Sometimes we're blindsided with our pride. Sometimes we don't even know it is there. Until we take stock of ourselves, until we observe the way we behave, until we observe the manifestations themselves. And we see here the manifestations of pride. That's why the Bible does not mince words. It speaks to us the truth. And sometimes the truth can be painful. You know what our problem sometimes is? Our problem sometimes is we are able to see the faults of other people, but we're never able to see the fault in us. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ was right when He said, before you take the speck out of your brother's eyes, you need to remove the log of your eye." And just try to imagine a log in your eye. You will not be able to see. But that's exactly what pride does. Pride blinds you to your own faults. Pride blinds you to your own mistakes and your own sins. So while you are able to discern and see the sins and the faults and the mistakes of other people, you don't see it in yourself. All you see is that you are a good, great, mighty, glorious person. And you and I know that's not the truth. Because all of us, without exception, have defects. All of us, without exception, have our own failures before God. We have had seasons of faithlessness before the Lord. And we have to recognize that. And humility calls us to repent of our sins, to recognize pride inside of us, and to ask God for forgiveness whenever it is present in our hearts. And again, we need to ask ourselves, is there pride in our hearts? We need to confess them before the Lord. Otherwise, it will cascade into more sins. There will be a domino effect, so to speak. It will be one sin after the other. It begins with pride. It will lead to others. That's exactly what happened to Lucifer. He is the inventor of all the evil, wickedness, perversion in the world. And where did it all start? It all began with pride. That's why pride can be our downfall. Now, when we move forward, let's take a look at verses 6 and 7 right now we find the taunt of the humiliated. We're talking about the nations that were humiliated by Babylon, which includes, of course, uh, Israel in the immediate future because this had not yet happened. And so here's what it says in verses 6 to 7. It goes, Will not all of these, referring to these nations, take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him? And say, woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and makes himself rich with loans. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. Now, what we find here, first of all, in verse 6, is what I call a slap in the face of the proud, the proud Babylonians. Because here we find that in the end, these nations will have the last laugh. That's why it says here, Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him? Because these nations that had been humiliated will see the punishment of Babylon. They will be able to see it. I recall the story recently, Maranatha Magazine carried a story about an ex-millionaire. And here's the story. Uh, Let me just read to you a portion of that uh, article. It goes, A millionaire who had been indicted for a serious crime was serving a long prison term. When a friend visited him one day, He found the convict, this ex-millionaire, sitting cross-legged, manipulating a large needle threaded with twine. He was sewing. He was busily engaged in fulfilling his work assignment of repairing the burlap bags. Hello, said the friend. And observing what he was doing, sewing? No, replied the prisoner with a grim smile. He said, reaping, reaping. The man had plowed iniquity and sown wickedness, and the harvest of his evil conduct was now his bitter portion. What does the Bible say? Whatsoever a man sows, he shall also what? Reap. If you sow love, you will reap love. If you sow hatred, you will reap hatred. If you sow good things, you will reap good things. If you sow bad things, then you will also reap bad things as well. So if you and I are to follow the principle of sowing and reaping, we need to be planting good things in our lives. But some of us would argue, but but some people are doing bad things against me. Well, here's what I need to tell you. You need to continue sowing good things. Even if people are doing bad things against you, you need to be able to do the right thing all the time. Because God is watching. Amen? God is watching. God ultimately is the judge of our lives. And so it doesn't really matter what other people do to you, whether they hurt you or do bad things to you. What you need to be able to do is do the right thing. Never retaliate. The Bible is very clear. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. The Bible is very clear that in place of bad things, we need to do good things to people who are doing evil things against us. That's how we respond as believers in Christ. We do not fight fire with fire. We are not in the Old Testament an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now there was a purpose for that in the Old Testament because again that was talking about civil law. But then again the implementation of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was implemented by the judges of Israel. It was never an individual, personal vendetta. It was something that went through a process of justice. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ said, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, what are you supposed to do? Well, turn the other cheek. Now, are you to do that literally? No. I don't think the Lord means to means for us to apply that literally that when somebody slaps us that we we turn our other cheek. Now I think what the Lord really means there is this. If some people hurt us, we don't hurt in return. Amen? Because God after all is watching and God is the ultimate judge. Amen? So we leave it to God. We leave everything in the hands of God. Now, here we find the mystery of the proud thief. And it says here in this verse, And say, woe to him who increases what is not his. For how long? And makes himself rich with loans. Now, notice here, there are two similar phrases. The phrase, uh, him who increases what is not his, and then makes himself rich with loans. Now, basically what this is saying is that the Babylonians were thieves because they were taking what did not belong to them. I believe that's also what the word loans here mean. It's not really theirs, but they're taking it, all right? And so here we find their misery as indicated by the word woe. Woe is an interjection of distress pronounced in the face of disaster or in view of coming judgment. So when you find that word woe, it basically speaks about judgment. Woe, by the way, was used frequently by the prophets 22 times by the prophet Isaiah, 10 times in the book of Jeremiah, in Lamentations about seven times, I'm sorry, seven times rather by Ezekiel, and 14 times in the minor prophets. Now, some of us ask the question, well, why do we find all these these words that, that contain the word woe? It seems like, you know, if we look at the Old Testament, it's like the Old Testament is filled with prophets of doom. But, you know, some of us don't really understand what has happened in the history of Israel. The word woe is practically an indication of the faithlessness of the nation of Israel. Remember, I mentioned to you the fact that they had a covenant relationship with the Lord. And in this covenant, there was a contract between them and the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy, God says, choose between life or death. But then in that exhortation, in that admonition, God says, choose life. But if you're going to have life, God says in the book of Deuteronomy, you need to obey me. Because if you disobey me, the other only option for you is death. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, what do we find? We find a list of blessings if they obeyed. And an an even longer list of curses if they disobeyed. And so what were the prophets really doing? The prophets were actually calling the nation back to repentance. The prophets were really saying, God wants to bless us. The prophets were saying, don't you know that we we have been given a land flowing with milk and honey? And the desire of God is to make us the head of the nations and not the tail of the nations. God wants to exalt us. God wants to exalt Zion But we have been faithless with the covenant of God. And because they refuse to repent, you find the word woe. Basically, what that means is this. I have called you to repentance. God was saying, I have called you to repentance, but you remain stiff-necked. I have called you to repentance, but you remain stubborn. I have called you to repentance, but you remain hard-headed. And because of that, woe to you for your disobedience. Now, I want you to observe a phrase that sticks out in the middle of this sentence as we look at the structural diagram. Let me just show it to you. Look at this verse. Now, notice the similarity between the first sentence and the last one. I already pointed out that out to you. Notice it says in the first part, woe to him who what? Increases what is not his. Notice how similar that is to the last sentence and makes himself what? Rich with loans. All right? That's basically synonymous. That's a a parallel uh, statement. But notice in the middle of that, there's a phrase that sticks out. Now, again, that's intentional. It's calling people to a very important point. Because remember, this was the question of Habakkuk in the first place. He was saying, how long, O Lord? How long before you judge the wicked? How long before you bring about justice? How long? And you know, this now presents itself as a rhetorical question And the point of this phrase right now is this, it will not be for long. That is why here, the point is that God is saying is that all that these people are doing, the Babylonians, will not be forever. In fact, in this passage, we find that God would judge them. The proud people's success will not be forever. And this tells you, brothers and sisters, that God judges proud nations. You know, there's an interesting archaeological discovery about Sodom and Gomorrah. I used to think that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was in the southern tip of the Dead Sea. And my, my inclination before was that it was probably on the side of Israel. But now with the recent archeological discoveries that have been made about Sodom and Gomorrah, it has debunked the fact that it is actually in the southern tip of the Dead Sea. Now they have found a city on the northern tip of the Dead Sea on the Jordan side. Not the Israeli side, but on the Jordan side. Remember, uh, it is divided by a body of water. On the west, you have Israel. And on the east, you have Jordan. And so on the northern tip, on the the, uh, eastern side, we're talking about Jordan, is what they discovered. They discovered uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And according to the archaeologists, it's about three hours walk. Now that means that it was huge. I mean, of course, we're talking about cities right now. And right now, three hours' walk is not so far. But then we're talking about an ancient city during the time of Abraham and Lot. Three hours meant that it was really a big city. And you know what they discovered? They discovered a a city with ruins which was destroyed by a nature shower. And friends, if you line that up with the book of Genesis, it makes perfect sense. And what does that tell you? God is in the business of judging nations. And that's why nations cannot be proud. But there are many nations that are very proud. They deny the existence of God. They go against the teachings of the Bible. And because of that pride and that arrogance, one day God will judge these nations that rebel against God. God is going to do that. He has done that in the past. He had judged Egypt. He had judged Assyria. He had judged Babylon. He had judged Medo-Persia. He had judged Europe. And right now, He's still judging many nations. And by the way... As what John Calvin said, sometimes the way God judges nations is by giving them evil rulers. Sometimes as the way God judges nations. He gives them evil rulers. So my point simply is this. As we reflect on what God was going to do on the nation of Babylon, God was going to judge them. Now, notice the plunder of the proud Babylonians in verse 7. It says, Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. In other words, the time shall come when collecting time for the proud one, Babylon, okay, will come. Sin will always be punished. Everything equalizes in the end. That's why I like to say, God is the great equalizer. Amen? How many believe that God is the great equalizer? Amen? He's the great equalizer. Could you say to your neighbor, God is the great equalizer? Some quotations here which might be helpful. And Matthew Henry says, If we be ruled by sin, we shall inevitably be ruined by it. Thomas Watson said, Sin is the womb of our sorrows and the grave of our comforts. The Gray and Adams commentary relates this story which tells us of the law of sowing and reaping. The emperor Charlemagne wanted to have a magnificent bell cast for the church that he had built. An artist by the name of Tancho was employed by the church to make it. He was furnished at his own request with a great quantity of copper and a hundred pounds of silver for the purpose. He kept, however, the silver for his own personal use. In other words, he stole the silver. And what he did was he substituted the silver with a quantity of highly purified tin so that it would not be discovered that he stole the silver. When the work was completed, he presented the bell to the emperor who had it suspended in the church tower. The people, however, were unable to ring it. So guess what happens? Sancho himself was called in to help in ringing the bell. And as he was ringing the bell, he pulled the bell, and guess what happened? The tongue of the bell fell on him, and he died on the spot. The very bell from which he stole silver was the very bell that killed him. God is watching. Say to your neighbor, God is watching is watching. The things they did to other nations, Babylon, will return to them. They too shall be punished. They too shall be plundered. The biters will become bitten. The plunderers will become plundered. The victors will become the vanquished. Another story might be helpful. There was a very wealthy widower, who deeded all his property to an only son and his wife on the condition that he would be allowed to live in the country with them for the rest of his life. After a few years, when the inheritance had been spent, the daughter-in-law decides to become a daughter outlaw. She got tired of having the elderly gentleman around and told her husband he would have to leave. The father would have to leave the house. The son agreed and broke the news to his father. A short time later, he and the feeble old man walked down the dusty road to a state-supported home for senior citizens. Being very unsteady on his feet, the father finally asked if he could rest for a few minutes on a sewed-off stump. So he, he sat down on that stump for a few minutes. And after regaining his strength, all of a sudden, he put his head on his hands and he began to cry. The father began to cry. The son, pricked in his conscience, tried to make excuses. And finally, his dad controlled himself and said these words, I am not crying so much because I am going to this lonely home for the poor and unfortunate. I am weeping because of my own sins. Forty years ago, I walked down this road with my father and I brought him to the very same place you're going to bring me to. I am now seeing the results of the evil deeds I have sown with my own father. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap. It was St. Augustine who said, Each man's sin is the instrument of his punishment and his iniquity is turned into torment. Again, each man's sin is the instrument of his punishment and his iniquity is turned into his torment. Now, we finally go to the payback on the proud as seen in verse 8. It says, Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. So two sins of the proud Babylonians. First of all, the sin of looting. It says here, because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you. The Babylonians plundered and killed. This will also happen to them their evil would return on their own heads. The principle stated here is what we sow, we shall reap. You may want to call it the law of compensation. Now, let me share to you a little story, this time a little bit funny. There was this elderly lady, she was invited by a couple to have a vacation in their own summer cottage. It was a very nice summer cottage. And so, willingly, she joined them uh, during the vacation time because, after all, she was not doing anything. She was elderly. And so, one of the things she she found in that house was a uh, a wonderful armchair. And she would often sit down on that armchair, rest a little bit, and just relax. And she enjoyed that armchair. Later on, however, she discovered that the dog of that house actually loved that armchair as well. And so one time, the elderly lady went to that armchair and saw that the dog was sitting there. Now, the dog was huge. The name of the dog was Rover. And so she was afraid, of course, to, to shoo away uh, this dog because the dog might, might bite. And so what she would do, she was a smart elderly lady. So what she would do is she would go up, you know, she would go to the window and she would say, Rover, Rover, look, look, there are cats, there are cats. And so Rover would start barking and would go to the window and silently the widow, or I'm sorry, the elderly lady would now slip into the armchair and Rover would look back the elderly lady was sitting there and she did that over and over and over again until the dog realized he was being duped so you know what the dog did well here's what the dog did the dog finally one morning went to the window and pretended to see something outside and it was wagging its tail it was barking And of course, the elderly woman, she was was sitting on the armchair. She became curious. What's he looking at? And so, the elderly lady went up to the window and then the dog silently went to the armchair. What you sow, you will reap. Amen. Amen. That's the law of compensation. And finally, we find here the sin of bloodshed and violence. It says, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants, they would be punished. The proud man can never escape the hand of God. He may think that he is escaping the hand of God, but it will only be for a season. There is such a thing as a payback time. So if there is one thing this passage teaches us, it is a fearful thing, according to the Bible, to fall into the hands of the living God. And how do you prevent that from happening? By being humble before Him and before the church and before people. And when you are humble, The Bible is very clear. He will exalt you in due time. For promotion does not come from the east nor the west, but from the Lord God Almighty. Amen. He is our promoter. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes at this time. As we reflect on this passage, the very first act of humility for every person should be to acknowledge that he or she is a sinner. And that we cannot save ourselves. Our good works cannot save us, our righteousness cannot save us. All because what God requires is perfection. And you and I will never, ever be perfect. So what does God do? God, in His graciousness, sends His only begotten Son to die on the cross to pay for all of our sins. So the very first act of humility is for us to acknowledge that we are sinners and that our only hope for salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we repent of all our sins and we ask the Holy Spirit to change us and make us into the kind of person He wants us to be. When we humble ourselves that way, the Bible says we shall have eternal life. Our names would be written in the book of life. And this morning, I would like to give the opportunity for people to come to Christ. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you want to humble yourself before the Lord and make Him your Lord and Savior, could you please pray a prayer of surrender? Now, you can pray it on your own, but if you need guidance, I'm willing to guide you while every head is bowed. And if you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, could you please slip up your right hand to the Lord all over this place. Those who want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. Yes, I see I see hands being raised up. Amen for those hands. Amen, amen for those hands. Amen, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, amen. Praise God. Praise God for humbling yourselves. Could you now put them down? I'd like you to please pray this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. I humble myself before you. And I acknowledge, Lord, that you are my only hope of salvation. Your sacrifice is my only hope of salvation. I cannot be saved by my own righteousness nor by my own good works because what you require is a perfect life. And I simply cannot give that to you. And so Jesus, thank you that you made the perfect sacrifice and I receive it right now. I surrender my life to you. I repent of all my sins and I make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, change me and make me into the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that sincerely from the bottom of your heart, then you now have a relationship with the Lord. Your name has been written in the book of life. And if you have done that either today or in the past, you're now ready to receive the Lord's Supper, which is an exclusive celebration only for genuine believers in Christ. And so if you believe that you have a genuine relationship with Christ, please join us in celebrating the Lord's table, even as I ask our communion servers to come and our worship team to prepare our hearts, please. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Thank you for message and Lord, pride is something we need to deal with in our hearts. We all have that, Lord, in varying measures, varying levels, but we all do have that. And so our prayer, O God, is that we might humble ourselves before you. That we will not be proud, that we will not let the root of pride to linger long in our hearts. But let it be, O God, that we would humble ourselves before you. For in humility is blessing, for in humility is exaltation, for in humility is peace, joy, and righteousness. And so Lord, teach us all to be humble. Allow us, Lord, to realize that we were wired for you and that the end goal of our lives is your glory, not ours, but yours. So thank you. Thank you for reminding us this morning. And thank you, Lord, that we could also give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And whatever has been achieved today, we will carefully give you back all the glory, all the praises and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord.